Happy Hanukkah! There's lots to learn from First and Second Maccabees and the story of Hanukkah. Welcome. This is Jesus, the Pattern Son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Hanukkah or Hog Hanukkah Sameach. I think. <laughs> I'm not sure my Hebrew is up to snuff. But anyway, I have so much to tell you. I have been studying about Hanukkah, about the Maccabees, etc. I think it is exceptionally for our time. There is so much revelation in it. But because Christians typically don't know anything about it, I'm going to start just telling you about it. Just trying to summarize the things I have learned, and then I will tell you very, very, very briefly the kind of the revelation nub and and give you some thought questions. Okay, so Hanukkah. You're probably familiar with because in school you get, you know, the Jews are celebrating eight days and lighting the menorah and playing with the dreidel and eating potato latkes and all of that's true as far as that goes. But there's so much more. Why should Christians even care? Well, because there is a lot to learn. Okay, so Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. John and the 10th chapter and verse 22, it says, At that time the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. That's Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Okay. And it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. <clears throat> and so the Jews there asked him to give them a sign and tell them plainly who he was. Okay. Clearly they had some idea. <laughs> All right. So Jesus celebrated the feast of dedication or Hanukkah. And we hear the story in text in first and second maccabees which is classed today in the apocrypha it was originally the apocrypha was originally published in the king james version of the bible most people don't realize that but originally it was published with that today the orthodox the roman catholic and the anglican churches use Bibles with the Apocrypha printed, published in the Bible. So it's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, for the Jews, it's not considered part of the Tanakh, and we'll talk about that later. Okay. Am I telling you to celebrate the Jewish feast? Well, I'm going to refer you to Colossians, the second chapter in the 16th verse, which says, 
Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are mere shadows of that which is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Okay, so that specifically was written to people who were not Jews, but who were getting judged because they weren't keeping the holy days. Oh, clue. Okay, so let everyone be assured in their own mind. Okay, I'm not taking a position here. I am teaching you the meaning of it. And should you learn, Christian, should you learn from Jewish tradition? Ah, thanks. So, okay. So, pride goeth before a fall. So let's learn in all stillness and quietness from our parents. Okay. So the year was, oh, something like 167 B.C., before Christ. And it went on for 30 years or so. So at this point, the kingdom of Judah is squeezed between the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire. Before this, Alexander the Great had conquered, we like to say, the known world. So he had conquered all the way to the Indus River, he had, you know, all, all through Egypt, certainly the Mediterranean basin. So when he died, then his kingdom was split. And so the part that Syria and Persia was the Seleucid Empire and the portion that was Egypt was the Ptolemaic Empire. And Judah ended up, or what we would today call Israel, ended up being the land bridge between those empires and ended up getting the short end of the stick sometimes when emperors or empires wanted more territory. So at this point, the rulers in Judah first were Onias, who was a traditionalist and a faithful man. And then there was a man named Joshua, but who preferred to have his name Hellenized, and he's remembered as Jason. Jason was high priest, so the the power in Judah was the high priest. There was no king. They didn't have a civil government at that time because they had been occupied for so long. So Ananias was high priest, and then Jason, and then Menelaus, who was extremely wicked. Jason obviously was Hellenized. And the power in the Seleucid Empire was Emperor Antiochus. And Antiochus called himself Epiphanes, which means he is the manifestation of God on earth. Antiochus Epiphanes was his name. Um, somebody else called him Epimanes, which means crazy man. Okay, so not the most well-liked of the emperors and he had some debts to pay off because he'd been doing some warfare and so he wanted to increase taxation and the Hellenistic Jews were quite happy to play ball with that and even suggested that they would pay him more tribute if he would install them as high priest and so we have things sort of laid out here. You've got the 
Hellenistic rulers who are kind of the liberals of the day culturally, the globalists of the day because they wanted to play ball with the empire. And then you have the traditionalists, Onias, and we'll see Matthias, the Maccabees, um, who might be called the Hasidim. So they are the traditionalists, the um, people who are more devout, more observant in Judaism. And not surprisingly, there is a urban-rural split here. So the Hasidim are more likely to live in the small towns. Okay, so the the Hellenistic or Hellenized rulers suggested Antiochus uh, to him that they would give more tribute and even they might ransack the temple. So they let it out that there was money stored in the temple. And of course, you know that the furniture was made of gold too. So they would do this in order to be high priest. Just think about that toes curl just thinking about it so eventually Antiochus himself ransacks the temple takes the money now the population was very concerned about this because the temple acted as the trust the fiduciary for monies that were saved for orphans and when the orphans reached 18 they would get their inheritance from the temple uh, so as well as the treasury of the temple there was really the, the trust for all the orphans in the nation. And um, anyway, Antiochus sets up an idol to Zeus. And it says this very clearly in Maccabees, 1st Maccabees. Actually, 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees both tell the history of this time. 1st Maccabees tells it in the style that you'd see in Kings and so forth. Samuel and Kings, whereas Second Maccabees tells it more in a Greek style. So it's clear that Antiochus sets up an idol to Zeus, sets it up on the brazen altar. It doesn't say in the text, but it certainly comes to us in the stories, and it's highly likely that he sacrificed a pig to the idol of Zeus there because Every Roman temple was dedicated with the sacrifice of a pig. And also, Roman troops um, would sacrifice pigs and would recognize their leaders with this ritual. And so, it is highly likely that pig was sacrificed, although the text doesn't necessarily say that. And Antiochus further wanted to Hellenize Judah, the kingdom of Judah, which people are all calling Israel by this time, he wanted to stop circumcision, stop observing of the Sabbath, and change the dietary laws. These three things were particularly at issue, circumcision, Sabbath, and dietary laws. By this time, he's called the wicked one. Okay, so he erected a Sabbath, uh, erected that statue on the 25th of Kislev. Now, because the Jews use a, a lunar calendar, it's not the same as the 25th of December. More likely something like December the 16th, but you know that that varies because the lunar calendar doesn't match the 
solar calendar. Now, many people think this is the abomination that makes desolate that Daniel talked about. By the way, I couldn't find that phrase in the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible, also called the Apocalypse. It comes from Daniel. And as I was studying this, doubts were raised in my mind because when I was watching YouTube and seeing pictures that the rabbis would show, they were showing carting off of the candlestick and the the furniture of the temple. It looked so much like the Arch of Titus, I wondered if it really was. It looks like probably we have, you know, Maccabees, first Maccabees, second Maccabees, and Josephus all say that Antiochus took the the furniture off and away. And later, first Maccabees says that another altar and another candlestick were made. So it's amazing to me the extent to which history is circular it is repeating itself in a way so Antiochus carted off the furniture and Titus carted off the furniture and this whole idea of the abomination of desolation plays highly in the understanding theories understanding that are current today about what will happen in the tribulation I'm not really trying to talk right now about eschatology but I just want to be sure everybody is on the same page okay so Jesus does talk about the abomination of desolation as a future event where he is standing so the one that happened with Antiochus can't be the deal okay so in Matthew 25 and 15 and Mark 13 and 14 Jesus does talk about the second temple being destroyed the furniture being carried off which it was in 66 to 70 AD and God's presence left at that time now the Jews were very interested in this story the Maccabees story that that God's honor and presence be retained in the temple and you can hear it in their prayers but the temple was uh, rededicated, cleansed and rededicated, and God did not leave them, which you can see. And the story that we know about the, um, the miracle of the oil shows that. But we know clearly, not just from Christian surmising, but from Talmudic rabbinic writings that the presence left the temple in in the days in Titus and Bar Kokhban. I don't know how I you know I don't know all the details, but in 66 to 70 A.D., just as Jesus had talked about the the temple was destroyed at that point, all of the gold was taken and not one stone was left on another. Whereas here, that didn't happen. Okay, so let's go back to the story. Antiochus has set up his his statue, and he's trying to Hellenize the Jews, and his officials are going from town to town asking that the townspeople sacrifice to a pig. This is a symbol of loyalty in Greek and Roman culture. You know, the Christians face that with later with Roman culture but that's what's going on 
And so they come to a little town called Moedin. Moedin, a little town, and opinion there is divided. Um, so there is an old priest, and we call him Matthias, Matthias Maccabee, as if Maccabee is his last name. Actually, his name was Matisyahu, and Maccabee means the hammer. So Matisyahu objected, said no, he wasn't going to do it, and um, altercation followed. So some other person was willing to comply and started to sacrifice a pig on the altar there at Moedin and Matisyahu it sounds to me from reading that the official was right there and the next guy in in the line said well I'll do it and Matisyahu kills the Jew who's willing to comply and then he kills the official which I think is pretty interesting because that official was almost certainly armed and had armed men and here is a priest anyway so Matis Yahu has several sons. Piers that Simon was the oldest and his father thought he was the wisest. And the second appears to me was Judah. And Judah was a fighting man. And then there was several others. Judah was a fighting man and he was the one who earned the name the Hammer. <laughs> so... It's possible that he actually used a hammer because I don't know if if they were wealthy enough to have uh, iron, you know, iron swords like the Greeks did. Maybe they did. I don't know. But the hammer was clearly a uh, mention of strength and and I would say rustic strength. Okay. So the rabbis have taught me that Matis Yahu and Judah knew the terrain very well and were able to use it strategically. So they fled to the Judean hills, not surprisingly, and they conducted guerrilla warfare. But what is surprising is time and again they won over overwhelming odds numerically. And fairly early on in a many many battles early on there was the battle of Emmaus so you know Emmaus from the stories in Luke after Jesus was was resurrected he was seen by disciples in Emmaus the walk to Emmaus well Emmaus was the turning point because it was a successful battle it rallied the devout people in Judah. There were many, many battles with far superior forces and these people, the Maccabees and the Hasidim that followed him, always prayed to God. And, of course, they fought and they won. There are... So early on in this series... There's a story about the elephants. So there was elephants with several soldiers on top. And in one battle, there was a, a one elephant that was particularly well decorated. And so people assumed that Antiochus himself was in that um, structure. 
And so Eleazar, one of Judah's brothers, uh, went and stabbed the elephant from underneath, unfortunately died because the elephant fell on him. But this kind of bravery was was um, celebrated. After the Battle of Emmaus, there was a time of quiet. And all of the Judeans just went back to their farms. But Judah Maccabee knew that this was probably not the best strategy, that they should be regrouping. And that's exactly what the Seleucid army was doing, was regrouping. And, um, uh, of course, they came again. Well, so, but they keep winning. So, at one point, so many people were dead in the, the temple. But they had won, so they cleaned the temple. Of course, you can't have dead bodies in the temple, so they had to clean it. And they found only one cruise of oil. And the detail in First Maccabees specifically said it had an Onias's seal on it. So it looks to me like Jason and Menelaus hadn't been doing their jobs because if they had succeeded Onias and... So there should have been more oil there, but there wasn't. So they lit the the lamp. So you understand, in the holy place, there is the seven-branch candlestick. And even so, though we are used to saying candlestick because of King James English, this is a lampstand, and oil was used, not candles. So there was only one batch of oil, and... The story goes, although I can't find it in 1st Maccabees or 2nd Maccabees, which I just read, but the story of Hanukkah that's celebrated is that there was oil only for one day and that there was oil miraculously given by God for eight days until more oil could be obtained and ritually purified so that it could be used in. So that's a wonderful story, and for me, I take that God reached out. These people were so desirous that they keep their relationship with God. They were willing to fight and die to continue to observe the Torah. Torah. And so God reached out to them in this miracle. So that's the story. Although that's not what 1st Maccabees focuses on. It's not what 2nd Maccabees focuses on. And hold that thought. Okay, so what we see, however, is, between the battles, is a lot of intrigue, betrayal, etc. Um, there's um, Simon and his brothers are honored for exposing themselves to danger and working for the people. I think this is very important. Um, you know, I was doing some teacher training at a conservative, using that word as non-technically, a conservative Jewish preschool. And one of the teachers there was on a rant against superheroes. And she meant cartoon superheroes like Spider-Man and Superman. And we, well, I kind of decided and suggested, because it was December, that maybe the Maccabees were real-life heroes that the children could really look 
forward to being like. You can't really be like Spider-Man or Superman, but you could be like the Maccabees. I think that was a surprising thought. But anyway, I uh, that seems true to me. So, but you see, you see opposition. You know, things weren't just all nice, and it wasn't just that the you know the empire strikes back. It was that there were Jews also who were working with the empire side, specifically in First Maccabees 15 and 32. You see that the Jews are accused of taking lands, which is ironic because exactly the opposite is true. Exactly the opposite is true. They have been living there for centuries, and the people who wanted to steal their land were accusing them to the authorities of taking the land and then trying to get the authorities to come down with a big army and, and take these lands and give them to the to the liars. Oh, gee, does that sound like something else? Okay, so Maccabees is written, Second Maccabees is written in the Greek style. It's more theological and it asserts the resurrection of the dead, creation out of nothing. But Anyway, it's very important that this is really God's hand of protection in the face of religious persecution. In fact, in the end, although there's many times that peace was made and then the empire's side would renege. Peace is made and then there was a lie. Peace was made and, of course, the neighbors get involved. They, they, Idumeans, which are Edomites, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and so forth. And um, but so there's a lot of treachery. But in the end, Judah makes peace and continues to pay tribute as long as it's fair, and they get to follow their own religion and their own customs. And then from the lineage of Judah Maccabee comes the Hasmonean Empire uh, the Hasmonean dynasty excuse me it's not an empire but a dynasty so and there's many stories of angels showing up one Greek ruler came in and tried to enter the temple and couldn't he was just smitten and, and just prostrated and you know so it didn't say, but it, it appears that he saw a, a, an angel. And in Second Maccabees, you see specifically it said that angels would march in with with the Maccabees. So that's very encouraging. And Judah remembers, Judah Maccabee remembers back when one angel killed 87,000 back in the Old Testament and he actually praised that he asked specifically for the angels to be sent which is encouraging and and I think that Christians who are doing that now asking for angels um, didn't realize that that the Maccabees were doing that anyway um, okay so that's the story there's the empire and there's the uh, the rustic backwoods people, there's the um, 
the Hellenists and the, the people who are willing to sell out their religion and their people for their own power. And there's a killing of a lot of people and ransacking the temple. And uh, there's, yeah, th there's, there's some sex in the story too. There's a gymnasium that has to be built right close to the temple. Um, there's a time when it looks like they're going to bring in prostitutes into the temples because that's what other temples did but obviously not not the temple in Jerusalem so this is the first successful rebellion from religious persecution somebody said well not quite but it, a little bit different because yeah it was a rebellion maybe that is right it's the first rebellion from religious persecution but it was not a political rebellion because Esther, I was thinking of the story of Esther, that wasn't a rebellion. Although the Jews did pick up arms, it was only because they were directed uh, that they were permitted to do so, encouraged to do so. Okay. We talked about the lamp stand and uh, interestingly, that today Hanukkah starts on the 25th day of Kislev, the very day of the temple desecration. And there's many numbers in this story and I commend to you, if you want to look into the, the uh, study of numbers or gematria, uh, there's a rabbi named Sobel on YouTube who uh, delves into that and um, I don't know him well, but uh, enjoyed a few of his videos. Now, I want to, to point out to you that when we hear about the celebration, we hear specifically about the oil. And Jews, of course, do know about the Maccabees. There's even the Maccabean games at the, um, the Jewish school here in town. So they have uh, their own little... I guess it's similar to UIL, but it's an athletic thing. They call it that. Maccabean Games. But um, there, as usual, there is some division of opinion. And through the years, there were rabbis who didn't really want to talk about Maccabees. In fact, there was one rabbi named Joshua ben Gamla who said that um, anybody who read Maccabees wouldn't go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> but uh, so Maccabees and the Apocrypha is not considered part of the Tanakh. It's apocryphal literature for them too. But clearly the feast has been well embraced it was embraced in Jesus day and it's embraced today and they have a liturgy for it in the Siddur in their prayer book and it's interesting that that prayer for Hanukkah specifically says those days and our time I don't have all of the words for you but you know it thanks God who is the king of the universe that brought us to this time and so forth and, but it it talks about those days and our times and that's what I was seeing all along here there's such parallel for those days 
in our times. So the lessons to Jews are, uh, as as Rabbi one rabbi on YouTube put it, they tried to kill us, we survived, let's eat. I think that's overly self-effacing. Uh, there was trust in God, that one God is better than many gods, and trust in one God is better than trust in a great big army. Assimilation to the empire is wrong-headed, and nationalism parallels with liberty. That could be a lesson that would be taken out. But notice that all along the Jews were willing to be good um, participants in the empire. They were willing to pay a fair amount of tax. But it was the religious liberty that was paramount and necessary. They have real heroes, and the real heroes are lauded because they put themselves at risk for the good of people. And now the rest of the story so that we have accurate knowledge. So I commend to you the reading of First and Second Maccabees. And you could probably go to the library and get a Bible that has the Apocrypha in it and just find First and Second Maccabees. Now the Jews today will often talk about in the light of the world. So yes, they light the menorah. For the, they have eight lights for the eight days and then the servant candle, which is often in the noble candelabra higher. So that's interesting. Servant leadership. And they light the menorah in their homes and say their prayers and put it in the window or in a door. And so the rabbis will talk about being the light of the world. Okay, so what are the lessons for Christians in addition? Difficulties arise because of betrayal, civil strife, globalism, and anti-faith. Sounds like our world today. God helps us to fulfill his commands. God reaches out to us. In fact, reach out to God and he reaches out to you a thousand times more yes God's word is a light unto our feet and not just to Jews only we say that Jesus is the light of the world and where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty so the the gospel and liberty are connected yes Okay, so here are some thought questions. Were the Maccabees right to resist their rightful rulers, even if corrupt? So they were resisting not just Antiochus, but also Jason and Menelaus. Were they right to resist assimilation into global culture of superior learning, superior technology, art, and militarization? <laughs> when you put it that way, it's surprising because we already know ahead of time that, no, you should be faithful to God. But do you see the the temptation and the, the situation, how it looked then? You see, I think we need to face this because we face this. We go to college and we lose our faith. Now we might go to elementary school and be whacked out okay we need to understand that we have to be 
discerning. I wanted to say critical and critical thinking, but now I realize that language has been hijacked. So we have to be discerning. We have to think for ourselves. We have to make wise decisions. Does the understanding of Hanukkah help you understand Jesus declaring that he is the light of the world? Well, let's look at that. So in John 10, that's not what he's doing. He's talking in John 10 about being a shepherd, but he has already said he's the light of the world in John 9. And it's interesting to note that that the readings in the Parsha, or the lectionary for the Jews, is about Joseph, which does connect with shepherding. But anyway, how does understanding the Maccabees story help you understand your responsibilities in the world? as we face the wider culture. And we also, like like the Maccabees, have hope in the eternal and know that if we follow the moral law that we'll be blessed. Yes? How is light threatened by darkness today in our culture, in our society? How can you be inspired by knowing that light overcomes darkness? Sometimes I think the darkness is so pervasive and aggressive that we get paralyzed. We should look to the light. How is Emmaus of the great miraculous victory of Judas, Judah Maccabee related to Emmaus' story when the disciples first see Jesus? Now there is the deep question. There is the point for sonship. Jesus was first seen. The resurrected Jesus was first seen at Emmaus, according to John. Of course, we, we get the story of the, the ladies elsewhere. And Jesus... At least the angel of the Lord is certainly seen in all the battles. Yet, in the Maccabean story, although it's not specifically mentioned in Emmaus, but Emmaus was the rallying point. Emmaus was the turning point. You know, just today I happened to see online a conference, a big conference called The Turning Point. And I was impressed with the the spirit of the people, the young people, the old people who were encouraging the young people to do good and to speak truth, to dedicate themselves to a struggle, not a violent struggle, so don't misunderstand me, but a, a, a appropriate struggle for truth and right and goodness and for the betterment of the people in their particular nation. So I think that there's a lot to be said here. Can we aspire to be heroes like the Maccabees' son? Simon with his wisdom, Judah with his strength and military stratagems, Eliezer with his bravery and quick action, and there were others uh, in the story. Well, I think that's a lot to be thinking about. Go and read Maccabees and um, whether or not you have potato latkes or chocolate candy.
and and playing the dreidel let's just mention that so it sounds like a, a cute thing when we hear about the dreidel but think about living in a time when your language was suppressed and your children were forced either not to go to school or to go to a school that taught something that was horrendous so what would happen is the children would get together to study in the forest and if soldiers came around they would quickly put away their books and get out the dreidel uh, to show well they were just gathered for games <laughs> and for the littlest one of course you could you could learn uh, a few letters anyway four letters okay education is part of this education is vitally part of passing down a culture of morality and a culture of morality is the vital part of having a culture of liberty and without inculcating character you're not going to have a government that's non-corrupt Selah so happy Hanukkah enjoy your holidays your holy days use them to draw near to God to be recharged in spirit and in body and in family and in community okay Lord bless you God wants to save you to the uttermost Jesus is Lord he is risen is the lover of your soul and is the judge of all thank you so much and may the Lord bless you please give us a like wherever you are listening to us so that others might find us and please share directly with those who might be interested you are invited to write us at sister at jesuspatternson.org sister at jesuspatternson.org and of course you are welcome to come to our website at jesuspatternson.org may the lord bless you